0: It's not wrong for me to recognize that that other lady's smoking hot. It's not wrong for me as a woman to look at that good-looking man. It's not like I've slept with them. My husband or my wife, we're just we're not getting along and it's just become bland. So I look at pornography because I have needs that aren't being fulfilled. I mean it's better than cheating on my spouse. God's Resistance is local in the Wilkes-Barre and Wyoming Valley area. If you need someone to talk to or pray with and are interested in joining a small group to help you live as a disciple of Christ, stay tuned for contact info. My name is Eric Samborski. Thank you for tuning in to God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the devil, and the world. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK, 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. If you miss the radio program, then look for the God's Resistance podcasts on your favorite podcast platform at 10 a.m. every Sunday where these are uploaded, and you will find other content on there as well. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube at God's Resistance, that is G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. Like, follow, and turn on the notifications for helpful spiritual content. You can contact us at gods.resistance at gmail.com or give us a call at 570-362-7782. Now let's listen in on today's briefing. We live in such a sexualized culture. You go to the magazine rack at the grocery store, and there it is. Television shows, and I know this is a little outdated, but there was a show called Desperate Housewives, Hollywood, they always have some kind of sexual plot or scene in their films. Eight year olds are wearing makeup and dressing like the people they see in the media and in Hollywood. And teen pregnancy and the increase in abortions amongst young people is just at an all time high and climbing. We live in a sexualized culture, but what does the Bible say? About this. We're going to be looking in Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. So let's just dig right in. This is the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus is speaking. Verse 27, Jesus said, You've heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. And I said this in the previous one, but Jesus says this frequently throughout the Sermon on the Mount here, where he's trying to reintroduce the the true meaning of God's law. He said, ye have heard that orally passed down law from those ancient people. That would have been the... Uh, commentators on God's law, Jewish writers, rabbinical writers, they had put so much stock in them, and they passed down what the quote-unquote meaning of the law was. So when Jesus says, ye have heard, he's referencing those people, and he and the, so the common people would know, you've heard this, you've read this, that it's been said this way. And here's what he said, thou shall not commit adultery. So commit speaks of an act, something that you do. Remember that the Jews were so fixed on the external law to the ignoring of the internal heart. He says, thou shalt not commit, do adultery. What is adultery? Well, adultery, if you don't know... I'm pretty sure that most of us would know, but it's helpful to just redefine, get everything out in the open as we go through this. Adultery is marital unfaithfulness between a man and a woman. In the sight of God, there's no such thing as adultery between same-sex couples because those are not biblical marriages. We need to say that in our present culture. So, adultery is marital unfaithfulness between a man and a woman. In those days, it was clearly understood that adultery was wrong. And it almost seems hard. And and it's, I mean, I chuckle because it's crazy. The the world we live in, especially here in America, it almost seems hard for our present culture to even fathom the idea that promiscuity and adultery is wrong. Television and Hollywood, they glorify this lifestyle. It just seems normal, you know, you can be with whomever you want to be, and uh, if you can't be with the one, you you love the one you're with, uh, you're, you can't be in love with the one whom you're married to, then love the one you live with or that you're with right now. Th- those are the prevalent ideas of our culture. People seem to get sick of commitment in American culture. I remember when my wife and I uh, had got married, it was somebody at our wedding spoke to my wife my wife and I did what was called a salt covenant instead of wedding rings. So we would take a pinch of salt from each other's bags, and then we would we would put our pinch of salt in the other person's bag. Then we would close the bags up and shake it. And the idea was that you could not go back on the marriage covenant because there's no way you could pick all those grains of salt out of there and put them back in your bag. But this person said to my wife... That's a really neat idea, but can we use two different colored salts? And the idea was, if this doesn't work out, I'd like to back out on this. The symbology seems good, but the implication is that I'm supposed to be with somebody for life. Commitment. And in society, commitment is at a very low ebb. And you've probably heard of this, and if you haven't, there's a social media website that came up, I think, 2001, And it was basically for people who are married to, you know, life's short, go have an affair. I think that was their slogan. Let me read you a few things that are on their website. Once in a while, something special happens, a fleeting glance, an accidental touch, a returned smile. These moments show us a glimpse of something different, something more. We think about them and what they could mean for us, the path not taken and the life not lived. But what if you could make those moments happen yourself? Feel the butterflies, experience the desire, and know what it is not to just live, but to really come alive. And the name of the site is the place to start your journey, to find your moment, a little later in their website, Meeting someone at work or through friends is too risky when discretion or adultery is your number one concern." Many turned to traditional online dating websites, but found it difficult to connect with people looking for a similar type of arrangement. And so, this website was created as the first website that was open and honest about what you could find there. Like-minded people looking for married dating. As a place free of judgment, this website revolves around the idea that consenting adults should be able to do whatever they want in private. What began over a decade ago soon grew to be the international leader in the affair dating space originally designed specifically for married men and women looking to have extramarital affairs in the most discreet way possible it has since evolved to be so much more what a slick smooth talking way to put such a heinous crime and sin against God and a sin against your married partner, your spouse. But that is the culture we live in. He said, you heard it's been said, thou shalt not commit adultery. And even though it may seem difficult for our culture to agree with this, adultery is still wrong in the sight of God. Let's move on to the next verse, 28. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her, hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Wow. So we we started this, and Jesus said, you heard of old that these people, they've told you and passed it down that you shouldn't commit adultery. But Jesus is drilling down, and these apply To every culture, to every generation, because it is the law of God and the corrupt and sinful human heart. Jesus says, but I say unto you. Jesus takes authority out of the hands of those religious leaders, out of the old rabbinical teachers, the commentators that tried to, quote unquote, make God's law understandable, comprehended. So he says, I say unto you. There's something deeper than just the act of adultery. Whosoever, there's no respecter of persons. Some people might say, well, I go to church. You know, I love God. I'm a good person. It's just that my marriage is kind of a mess. So, you know, I think God will forgive me for the adultery. They won't say that, but that's what, they're, that's what they're thinking. Well, he said, whosoever. So this is for everybody what Jesus is about to say. Whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her. Let's start with looketh. We cannot help sometimes but to see provocative images almost everywhere, I mean, like I mentioned in the beginning, you can go to the grocery store and you see scantily clad women on the faces of magazines and newspaper and men dressed in such ways to attract the female gender and to sexualize pretty much everything. You can't even look at a magazine that's supposed to be for cooking without having somebody dressed in such a way, a a lady showing, you know, parts of her chest. And we... We can't help but sometimes see that because we would have to walk around with our eyes closed to not have that enter into our vision. But we may not be able to control that first glance, but the second glance, that will reveal the heart, that can reveal the heart. Because we might not be able to help it the first time, but the second time, we don't need to look back at it again. We we have the control to say, "Uh uh-uh, I saw what was over there, and I'm not looking anymore. But he says, whosoever looketh on a woman. So does that exclude a woman looking at a man? Phew, the ladies say, that doesn't apply to me. Well, the context here is the religious leaders who were divorcing their wives— Uh, for younger ladies. So naturally, Jesus is going to say, whosoever looks at a woman to lust, because he was talking to men at that time, but the principle goes to both genders. It's wrong on either side. And he said, whosoever looketh on a woman or whosoever looketh on another to lust after them in their own heart. So it matters in God's sight, what the intent of our looking is. Do we look at the other person because we wish we could be with them instead of our current spouse? Do we look on another imagining them unclothed? Do we imagine what it would be like to have sexual contact with that person? And this isn't speaking against temptation, but it's speaking to the intent and the consent. That means your will agreeing to it of the heart. So he's saying whoever looks at the opposite sex with the intent for wicked, evil, lustful thoughts and says yes in the heart already, though the deed may not be done on the outside, that is what Jesus is talking about. He said that person hath committed adultery with her, or if it's a lady, with him already in their heart. Half means that it happened at that point, and they're going forward, they're guilty. So that person already committed, they already did an act. The moment you choose these wrong motivations or intents, at that very moment, you're guilty of committing adultery in the sight of God. At that moment, you're guilty. Adultery. Then, according to Jesus, according to God and his word, the root of adultery is unfaithfulness of our heart, the lust of our heart and giving into it. This would help us to realize also that a person lusting after another in his or her heart is guilty of sexual sin. That is what Jesus is saying here. This principle works for the married obviously in this context, but also for the unmarried. That means that if I was not married and yet I'm lusting after somebody else in my heart, I'm guilty of sexual sin, though I have not actually done any deed. I've consented to it in my heart. And you know, you can still commit adultery if you're single and you're lusting after a married person. Jesus said it starts right there. That is the seed of adultery, lust of the heart. So this goes for single people. This goes for married people, this principle of lust beginning back in the heart. The teachings of Jesus wholesale, they wholesale condemn pornography as adultery and sexual sin because of the desire, the wicked desire in the heart. Pornography will bring you down a black hole. Not only will it ruin your life and your heart right now, it will ruin your marriage, it'll ruin your relationships, and it will definitely put you under the judgment of God for that wickedness. So may God help us in that. He says, I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her, hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. In case you've just tuned in, you are listening to God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the world, and the devil. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK, 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at God's Resistance. That is G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S. T A N C E. You can also email us at gods.resistance at gmail.com or call us at 570 362 7782. Verse 29 And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish. And not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. So your right eye offend you. Basically, if your ability to see is causing you to sin, there's a problem. And, you know, when, as far as sight is concerned, that's not as easily detected by others You can sneak a glance when no one's looking. I remember before I was a Christian and I was with a girl for a long time. She's now my wife and we're both Christians, praise God. But at that point, we weren't Christians. I remember I wasn't the kind of person that was running around with women, but I do remember being with her and, you know, we're walking in the mall together holding hands or we're somewhere. I remember watching women walk by and looking at them and then also trying to make it so that she wouldn't see me do that. And it's not, I, I know I was doing wrong. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been trying to hide it. But she didn't know if, unless she looked directly at my eyes. So that eye causing me to sin can be hidden. I can be doing that without somebody else knowing. Jesus said, if your eye causes you to sin, your right eye, he's saying here, pluck it out. This illustrates the serious consequences of giving in to sin according to God. Does Jesus want you to literally pluck your eyeballs out if they cause you to sin? No, it's a a hyperbole. And a hyperbole is an exaggerated statement to make a very definitive point. So he's saying if your eye causes you to sin, sin is so serious and detrimental, you should pluck your eye out. In other words, don't let one small part of you be the cause of your entire being landing in hell. Verse 30. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Again, it was talking about an eye before. Here it's talking about a hand. So more specifically now, our actions. If your hands cause you to sin, and it's a whole lot easier to see when somebody does something wrong outwardly. It's the same hyperbole. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. He doesn't want us to cut. Our hand off, but it's that serious. What do we learn from these two verses then? Well, number one, sin is deadly. Secret inward sin can cause you to go to hell, will cause you to go to hell if not repented of. Outward sin will cause you to go to hell. I think a lot of times we can understand: well, if I come if I actually went out and cheated on my spouse, that's really wrong. But we have a hard time looking at ourselves and saying, well, I'm guilty because I kind of wanted to do that in my heart, though I didn't act on it. Uh, so God won't be upset with me about that. Well, God looks at the heart. He's not. He doesn't want us to do the things outwardly, but he's looking at the fountain where all that came from. So outward sin will cause you to go to hell as well as inward sin. And the what we can learn here is do whatever it takes so that we don't sin. A little indulgence has great eternal consequences. Verse 31, and this is a setup. Jesus speaks about the principle of lust and then brings it down to a real problem that was going on amongst the Jewish leaders and Jewish men. 31, it hath been said, whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. So, Jesus had to lay those above principles down about lust in order to address this gross evil of divorce in the religious leaders, which was also prevalent in society because of those faulty beliefs of these religious leaders. He said, It hath been said again, you revere your rabbis and commentators and what they've told you. And this is what they said If you, whosoever shall put away their wife, put away means divorce. Let him give her a writing of divorcement. So um, commentator, Adam Clark, had pulled these up from historical places outside of the Bible. Uh, Rabbi Akiba said, If any man saw a woman handsomer than his own wife... He might put his wife away because it is said in the law, if she find not favor in his eyes, and he references Deuteronomy 24.1. So it shows you how loose the rabbis thought about marriage. Josephus, who was a Jewish historian, he said um, in, in about his life, writing about his life with this kind of utmost coolness and indifference about the matter, about this time, I put away my wife who had borne me three children, not being pleased with her manners. You know, they could even put away their wives or divorce their wives because they didn't prepare their food right. They burnt the toast. You know, the food didn't taste right. Such crazy things you can read in in history there of what they were doing. Now, he says, let this person, if you you desire to give your wife, whoever it is, give her a writing of divorcement, then it'll be okay. This is what it would have, uh, one of their uh, bills of divorcement would have read like. On the day of the week A, in the month B, in the year... C, from the beginning of the world, according to the common computation in the province of D, N, the son of N, by whatever name I am called, of the city E, with entire consent of mine and without any compulsion, have divorced, dismissed, and expelled the wife. I say M, the daughter of M, by whatever name thou art called, of the city E, who was heretofore my wife, but now I have dismissed thee. I say M, the daughter of M, by whatever name thou art called, of the city of E, so as to be free, and at thy own disposal to marry whomsoever thou pleasest, without hindrance from anyone, from this day forever. Thou art therefore free for any man. Let this be thy bill of divorce from me, a writing of separation and expulsion according to the law of Moses and Israel. Reuben, son of Jacob was a witness and Eleazar the son of Gilead, the witness. So they're saying that they the law of Moses had said something about a bill of divorcement in the Old Testament and so they're saying we're just doing what Moses said so here we're divorcing you according to the law of Moses. The problem is they were guilty of using God's law to condone their own heart's lust. And just as there was frivolous reasons to divorce back then, they're still around today. Uh, you know, I don't think my wife's pretty anymore. She got fat. She's kind of ugly. She doesn't take care of herself. And and it's a shame if that happens, you know, and it does happen. It's part of life. And we've got to, you know, stay fit and and try to, you know, be who we need to be to one another as a husband and wife. But You know, we just don't get along or we've drifted. Our interests aren't the same anymore. All sorts of different things people get divorced for, which is condemned by God himself. Verse 32, he said, that's what you were told. But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery again. Jesus But I say unto you, Jesus takes the authority out of the hands of the religious leaders, and now he puts himself up as the one who speaks with authority in front of everybody. He said, whosoever. And it's crafty the way he's done it, because now he's turning it around. He's saying, whosoever. And he's pointing to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders. He's pointing to them and saying, you aren't outside of this law. You also need to abide by this. If you put away Your spouse, and I'm saying spouse here because in the broad context, that is what God means. It's not just if a husband puts away a wife and that's the only way it applies. It's if a wife puts away a husband, doesn't matter which side. Remember, the context was he was talking to men who were doing this in that society at that time. But now that principle applies across the board. So if you put away your spouse, if you divorce your spouse, and there's this one exception, except for fornication or marital unfaithfulness. If you put away your spouse for any of these other reasons, you caused your spouse to commit adultery if they marry somebody else. And if you marry somebody else, you're committing adultery too. So this speaks against the example of the writing of divorcement that was mentioned above that sample that I, uh, I had just read, where it was stated that you're now free to go. And marry whoever you'd like, because I divorce you. You don't please me. I don't like your manners anymore. I don't like the way you look. I like this young lady over here. She's far more beautiful than you are. God does not recognize such a divorce. He doesn't recognize such a divorce. Well, we we just couldn't get along, or our interests aren't the same anymore. Um, we just found other people, and so we we just mutually agreed upon it that it was best for the both of us to divorce. What God hath joined together, let not man put asunder, says the scripture. God does not recognize such divorce. You may be able to go to a court of law and get this divorce, but God doesn't look at this marriage dissolved. So, you caused your spouse to commit adultery if they marry somebody else. You you say, you're free to go. Notice that if one spouse commits adultery— then it cannot be said that the other spouse was the cause of it so like if my wife commits adultery on me she she goes out and is cheating on me with some other man then it's not that now i've caused her to commit adultery she made the choice herself this is what the scripture is talking about so if you commit adultery in your marriage it's your fault it's your responsibility it's not your spouse's. And you may say, well, my spouse was, you know, not giving me what I needed or they weren't this, that, and I'm not belittling that. I know that those can be hard situations to be in, but still the act of committing adultery is your personal responsibility. Even if your marriage is troubled and your relationship is strained, you still have the power to to say no you still have the power not to commit adultery no one can force you to commit adultery the choice is yours not only would you cause your spouse to commit adultery if you said you know you can leave now you're free to marry whoever i divorce you you uh, but the person who might marry your divorced spouse is also going to be committing adultery because God does not see your marriage as dissolved simply because you didn't want to be married anymore. So Jesus clearly teaches that all the marital mess of divorce and remarriage in our culture begins with the sin of lust in the heart. That is the problem. It's not... All these relationship problems, though we can have relationship problems, we need to work them out. Jesus says, lust is the seed of all of these troubles. Have you found, after listening to this, that you are an adulterer at heart? Do you imagine yourself with others besides your spouse Maybe you're not married, but maybe you've lusted after another in your heart. And maybe that person that you were lusting after, maybe they were married. Maybe they are married. Or maybe you just have lust in your heart. Is that where you are right now? Do you look at pornography? Have you gone so far as to actually commit adultery? Have you divorced your spouse because you just didn't want to be with them anymore? It's still adultery in God's sight. It's still a sin. If you found yourself guilty, there is hope for you in the gospel of Jesus Christ. What you must do is repent of your sins and trust in Jesus to save you. You say, Lord, I'm sorry for my sins of adultery, whether I've committed the actual act or whether I'm guilty of it in my heart. I'm sorry for that. I'm sorry for being unfaithful to my spouse. I'm sorry for looking at pornography. I'm sorry for lusting after somebody else. Please forgive me. And you put your hope and faith in Jesus Christ. He can radically save you, change you, transform you, and make you a new person. What's your next step if you found yourself right there? Call 570-362-7782 or email gods.resistance at gmail.com. Introduce yourself to me. Set up a time to meet so I can coach and help you further to walk with God. Like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. There's more teaching and preaching to help you on your journey and connect with others that are going through their journey. Tell your friends about this broadcast. It's every Sunday at 9 a.m. here on WITK. Uh, Also tell them about the podcast and our social media accounts. But above all, join the resistance, God's resistance. Special thank you to Spectacular Sound Productions for giving permission to the use of the song Heroes and Monsters, which was edited and used in part on this production. The permission was granted under attribution share Alike 4.0 International Creative Commons license. That license may be found at https colon forward slash forward slash creativecommons dot org forward slash licenses forward slash by hyphen essay forward slash 4.0 forward slash legal code.